Amen. It's great to sing God's praises together. I say that often, but I feel that way often, so I'll say it. We're in 1 Peter chapter 3 uh, this morning, uh, down around verse 7. 1 Peter 3, and we'll spend most of our time in verse 7 this morning. And I have a lot of the material here, so we're going to maybe try to go fast, if that's possible. We'll see. Well, we've considered uh, last Sunday Peter's encouraging women to pursue an inward adornment. Pretty radical adornment. Uh, inward, a, a woman's beauty is that which is on the inside. And uh, verses 5 and 6, uh, Peter wrote this, For in this manner in former times the holy women who trusted in God also adorned themselves by being submissive to their own husbands. As Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, whose daughters you are, if you do good and are not afraid by any fear. There were two things I failed to mention last week, and one of you pointed that out to me. One of them was in your outline, and another one never made it. Concluding last week, I wanted to mention two things. We were talking about the adornment that God values in women. And one thing I wanted to mention, men, is, men, you need to value what is valuable in God's sight. And when you do that, that will encourage your wives. You men can have a major effect upon your wives if what you value in them is what God values. And a lot of men need to have their minds rearranged. (laughs) Because if you grew up without instruction, without example or anything, you don't think that way at all. So I just encourage you with that principle. Figure out what it is that God values in a wife and a mother, and then you value the same. And you will encourage your wives. And in wives, I wanted to say this. Follow your husband's leadership and you will encourage your husbands. If you want to encourage your husbands, follow them. Follow them. And when you do that, that may also increase in them a sense of responsibility when suddenly you are looking to them for leadership and guidance. So, ladies, you can encourage your husbands by by following them. Well, ladies, the time has come. We finally reached verse 7. I realize there were six verses for the women and one for the men. Now, if we went to Ephesians, it'd be kind of flipped. But we're not in Ephesians, we're in Peter, so we're going to stick with uh, the emphasis. But we come now to verse 7, of course, in 1 Peter chapter 3. Husbands, likewise, dwell with them referring to your wives. Husbands, likewise, dwell with them, what? With understanding or with knowledge, giving honor to the wife as to the weaker vessel and as being heirs together of the grace of life that your prayers may not be hindered. I mean, there's a lot in that verse, is there not? How many things are in that verse? Let's see if we can get through them. Well, the husbands also get a likewise. Remember, ladies, you got a likewise. Likewise, or in the same manner, 
So Peter said the same thing to the women. Wives likewise be subject to your own husbands. So he says the same thing to husbands. Husbands likewise dwell with your wives with understanding. So the likewise points to these more fundamental principles that apply to all of these relationships. And those fundamental principles were servants be submissive to your masters, what? With all fear of God. With all fear of God. Earlier in the chapter, submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake. And then in 2.17, honor all people, fear God. See, that's the likewise. Those three things are the fundamental attitude that we are to live with. Live with the fear of God. You are to love your wives for the Lord's sake. And you are to follow your husbands for the Lord's sake. So here we have the likewise once again. So here's my point, husbands. Likewise, dwell with them with understanding, giving honor to the wife. That begins by getting the likewise right and nurturing it and maintaining it with all respect, with all fear of God, for the Lord's sake, honor all people. That's your foundation. This instruction of Peter is not how to get along with your wife while you forget God, right? The world is full of that instruction. You know, you can get a thousand marriage counselors, okay? You can get a thousand psychologists and a thousand psychiatrists. Their concern is to try to help you get along with your wife and forget about God. That's not the gospel. That's not Christianity. Our goal is very different. Our goal is that men and women, boys and girls, trust God, become honoring to God. They don't need the likewise. The secularists don't need the likewise. Just show me how to get along with my wife. Who cares about this fear of God and for the Lord's sake stuff? Well, you're not going to get that kind of counsel out of this church. (laughs) We're here because the Lord Jesus bought us at an awesome price by His blood. And we now want to know how to live to please Him, don't we? That's why we're here. And we know He will bless us as husbands and wives and mothers and fathers. We know that. He's concerned about that. So you see, the, the perspective is all different. The likewise is important. Let's go on. Dwell with your wives with understanding. When we consider all that God says regarding the marriage relationship, it's obvious that there are reciprocal obligations. You know, a wife is to fulfill certain things. But a husband has to reciprocate. He has to fulfill certain things also. Both parties have responsibilities that are unique to their roles and how God made them. And they both have responsibilities toward the other. That's how God has established it. Often we fail in that. And who hasn't, you know, who hasn't felt 
as a husband or wife or mother or father as a failure. I, I would venture to say anybody in this building that's been married or an end that's been married and has raised and is raising children, we have all felt as failures in those roles. <laughs> As husbands and wives and as mothers and fathers, these are high callings. The world thinks these are secondary low callings. That's bunk. One of the highest callings for a man is to be a loving husband. And what that means, one of the highest callings for a woman is to be a a loving, respectful wife. And one of the highest callings for men and women is to be a mom and a dad. These are things that are precious and valuable in God's sight. How blessed we read Psalm 127 and 128. Now, don't despair. These are hard callings. And the road is rocky. Okay? It is for all of us. And you know, when us as elders, you say, well, they're, they're just saying that. No, they're not just saying that. I've said that honestly. I wrote it in the eulogy at my wife's memorial service that we could have the hardest of times and we could have the best of times, okay? And that's true. And I've told some of you, uh, I, I know I've told my fellow elders this, and we talk about communication. When we counsel people, I can tell you this. You don't need to work, whatever's going to be on the list, it doesn't matter. When they come to you for counseling, communication's on the list. It doesn't matter whatever else is. That's on the list between men and women. And the funny thing my wife and I used to say is if we had a dollar... For every time we talked about talking, (laughs) we would be very wealthy. (laughs) We talked about talking so many times. (laughs) And there were times that I'm sick of talking about talking. (laughs) We would both say that. That's the communication thing, you see. We were absolutely different communicators. We were different communicators. So, all I'm saying is these roles in the sight of God are significant. They're precious. God's wisdom is in His Word and His promises. And they are high callings. And yeah, we'll have to get on our faces and pray and trust. And I've gone off the notes, but... I woke up this morning, I was thinking about this, and I go, I don't want to discourage these people. (laughs) You know, I don't want to discourage them. And so this is my attempt to encourage you. Now I'm going to bring down a hammer, okay? (laughs) I'm joking, but but you see, the devil would want to encourage you, but, but if you're in Christ, okay, there's no reason for a despair, Right? Christ's power to save and transform. He does both. He forgives you and He transforms you. And you got them both. If you have Christ, you got both. You got His forgiveness and you got His transforming power. You can't separate those. You have them both. 
And now he's going to teach you to live by faith. You're going to have to learn to pray. You're going to have to call upon him and all these kinds of things. But he is with you. So, so let's see. Yeah, mutual obligations. Both husband and wife have mutual obligations in the relationship. And the Lord points that out. Wives are to be submissive to their husbands, and husbands are to live with them in an understanding, knowledgeable way, giving honor to their wives as to the weaker vessel, and being heirs together of the grace of life. The exhortation to dwell with or live with your wives means more than under the same roof. Hey, Roommates can live under the same roof. <laughs> guys, they're not your roommate. They're not your college roommate. You know, when you two guys live together under the same roof. Dwelling with your wives doesn't mean that. Okay, I mean, it includes that. But dwelling with is the idea of companionship. All right, now that's different. That brings another dimension into this relationship. You know, I, I never was really a companionship with my male roommates in college, okay? Maybe some. But dwelling with. This is an emphasis on togetherness, dwelling together, going through life together. Whether you're under the roof or out in the car or out in the park, you're dwelling with... Your wife. Companionship. The knowledge, the knowledge we are urged here to have is, is broader than consideration. Some translations say, dwell with your wife, uh, be considerate. Now, I mean, that's a good thing to be, to be considerate. And it, it's getting there, but that's too narrow of a term. This, this word here, knowledge, is just a normal broad term for knowledge. There's a lot of good knowledge out there from God about the marital relationship. And I think it comes in three areas. It's broad. There's three areas of knowledge. A knowledge of women in general. Right? A knowledge of women in general. Husbands, we need to know that. We need to know something about women. You know, they're different. Okay? God made them different. And some knowledge about women in general is very, you know, very helpful. And you really won't learn it till you get married, all right? So you single guys, this is good for you, but trust me, you're really not going to learn how different they are until you've been married at least five years. And it doesn't stop then. <laughs> God has made us different in, in certain ways. So a knowledge of women in general, a knowledge of my wife in particular. Dwell with your wife according to knowledge. Now, that's probably maybe the most important of these three. They're all important, but you need to, we need to have a knowledge, a knowledge of your wife in particular. You're not married to all these other women or all these women in the books or whatever. You're married to one particular woman, and it's your calling to know her and to get to know her. That's even what love means. True biblical love has this idea of knowing and being known. It absolutely has that concept. And so the second area of knowledge, the knowledge of your wife in particular, the third area of knowledge is a knowledge of the marriage relationship as God intends it. 
You need a knowledge of the marriage relationship as God intends it. So you need those three things. So let's consider each of these briefly. A knowledge of women in general. Women are different from men. And I have already said that. Women are different physically, for certain. Emotionally, most likely. Perhaps intellectually different. Not stronger or weaker, but different intellectual strengths than men. Vice versa. Women are different. This text mentions one of the differences, and our, our subject today is, about, is for men, so it's not to go into all these questions about women and their differences. But the text mentions one difference, that the female is, quote, the weaker vessel. Now, this idea, of course, is hated by much of our culture, or a significant percent of our culture, as it's derogatory that that women are the weaker vessel. Well, let me be gracious. We're going to have an arm wrestling contest right after this session. And we're going to line all the men up on one team and we're going to put all the women on the other team. And we're going to do it scientifically. Okay, we're going to make sure that you're a woman. Okay, you, got, you can only be on that woman's team if you're a woman. And you can, we're going to make sure you're a man. You've got to be a man to be on the man's team. And we're going to arm wrestle. Hey, I can tell you what the result's going to be. The men are going to win. (laughs) Not by a narrow margin. Okay, so that obviously is one of the areas in which women are the weaker vessel. They're physically weaker. They're never going to bench press as much as men can bench press. (laughs) Just in the whole realm of physical strength, women have less physical strength. That one, I I think that's clear. Now the word vessel here, we should talk about that word a little bit, the weaker vessel. And what does that mean? Well, we know from 1 Thessalonians and other places, it's referring to our bodies. 1 Thessalonians 4.4 says that each of you should know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor. And he's referring to one's body and not practicing sexual immorality with your body. And he uses the term vessel. How to carry your own vessel in honor. He's talking about your physical body and to honor your physical body by not engaging in sexual immorality. So, so yeah, when this text says women are the weaker vessel, it is, it is referring to them physically, absolutely, and, and their bodies. So women are physically weaker than men, and I've already illustrated that and said that. Okay, and that's how God intended it. That's how God made it. You know, your DNA is not an accident. You know, the male and the female DNA and that chromosome thing and every cell is marked, whether you're a male or a female, in your body. None of that that is an accident. Okay, that's absolutely designed by God. None of that's an accident. So, women do not have the degree of physical strength that men have. And if you are thinking according to hard science, uh, that's just undeniable. Women are the weaker vessel in this regard, and that does make them more vulnerable to mistreatment. Right? It does. And and women are more vulnerable 
to mistreatment because they simply do not have the physical wherewithal to resist men. And so it's not a male chauvinist thing when men have a built-in urge to protect women. Okay? Call it an instinct. Call it what you want. That's designed. It's designed that way. Women are the weaker vessel in this way, and men have an instinct, unless they've been neutered by our culture, men have an instinct to protect females. And that's a good thing. Okay? Just like men and women have an instinct to what? Protect their children, right? Okay? This is, this is all by design. And as men, you, you need to understand that. And uh, maybe that's why your wives have a little more fear and anxiety in certain situations that you don't. <laughs> See, it plays into things like that. So we just need to think through that. So are there other ways that women are weaker than men? This is where it gets much more difficult. And that's not easy to answer biblically. Are there other ways that women are weaker than men? That's a difficult thing to answer. Now, in this context of delegated authority from God and our required submission to delegated authority, women are weaker in the sense that they are delegated less authority in the family than men. Right? In the family unit, the husband is to be the head of the household. And so he has the higher authority, and of course then he has the higher responsibility as well. So the ladies don't have that level of authority delegated to them. Right? And so some would consider that they are, they are weaker in that case. Like when I go to work, and I went to work for my first boss, I was weaker than he was. Why? Because he had all the authority and I didn't. And that's not a bad thing, but he was in authority over me. I didn't have authority over him. He had authority over me. So by, by that very relational setup, I am weaker in that sense. Okay. Often people add, will add that women are weaker emotionally. Or that being more emotional makes women weaker. Now, I'm, I'm not sure that this is true. I'm not sure that this is true. And we got to sort out stereotypes from what we really have out of Scripture. And we're being, of course, challenged to do that more than ever because of our culture. This is just like, ah, I wish I could get an analogy. This isn't a very good one. But, you know, the church worked out many major doctrines and issues because falsehood came up against it, and they had to say, well, what do we really believe about the person of Jesus? Is he God or not? And is he man or not? You know, and the, and, and the misrepresentations caused the church to go through Scripture, go through Scripture, work through this, work through this. We're still doing that. The church is still doing that. The church is confronted with things today that we've never been confronted with before. We're not afraid of that because the Bible's sufficient. The Scripture's sufficient to deal with all of these things. So on this matter 
I don't know that women are weaker because they're more emotional. You know, I'm not sure that that is true. And I think that is an overly, simply an overly simplistic approach. It seems true from experience that women have greater emotional sensitivity. I mean, they do. <laughs> and, and we learn that from experience. Could we get that from Scripture? I don't know. If, if you can help me find in Scripture where it says that women have greater emotional sensitivity, I, I'm all ears for you to show me that from Scripture. Now, we also learn by experience, all right? And by experience, I certainly learned that women have greater emotional sensitivity, but that doesn't necessarily make them weaker. But is greater emotional sensitivity a weakness or is it a strength? Is it a weakness or is it a strength? Well, it depends what needs to get done. That's right. So if the thing that needs to get done requires empathy and compassion and entering in and understanding, honey, help me be that way. <laughs> Right? You know your wife is that way. You begin to learn that your wife is that way. And you say, you know, we're going to go into the hospital here. You know what? I just want to listen. You talk to the person, honey, in the hospital, and I'm just going to listen. Whoa. That's pretty good. <laughs> okay? So I'm not compromising anything here. All I'm saying is we need to think through these things more carefully. So obviously, being emotionally sensitive can be a real strength in certain situations. But perhaps in other situations, it could not be a strength. Say, so those, those are the kind of things, you know, we need to think through. But in God's initial design, He said it's not good for the man to be alone. He was sinless, but it's not good for him to be alone, which means he's not very strong in some areas. It's not good for the woman to be alone either. So our subject today is not all of those issues, but, but we got this phrase here. Yeah, there can be little doubt that women's sensory perceptions to thoughts and feelings and emotions of others are greater than men's. I never forget the time we drove home from a prayer meeting when we were doing the church plant. And on the way home, Carol says, LT, I think LT is offended. What do you mean? <laughs> That's me. I'm immediately defensive. <laughs> I, I don't think so. I think LT's, I think LT's offended, you know. And so... Now, you know, us husbands, we want, we want the cheerleading squad all the time, right? That's, that, you know, ladies, that's what we're like. We want all this cheerleading and affirmation and build. So, so you know, you're supposed to just agree with us and say, yes, sir, you're right. <laughs> I'm, I'm using a little hyperbole to, to make a point. But you know what? She was completely right. As the history unfolded, LT was offended. Something really bothered him. And, and uh, anyways, it's quite a story. And, but it was just an example of the ability women have a sensitivity and an ability 
to sense those kinds of things that, that most men, you know, I mean, you may find a man once in a while that has that kind of ability, but the ladies have that. But this is, this is a very strength in some senses, and it could be weakness in others. Wives are more likely to be deeply hurt by conflict within marriage uh, because of this, and by inconsiderate behavior, words, and deeds. Okay. So, uh, <laughs> I remember another conversation with, with some ladies, and we were talking about some of this stuff, and one of the ladies looks over to me and smiles and says, we are all like this. <laughs> okay? <laughs> you know, that's what she wanted to tell me. We're all like this. <laughs> okay. And that's because God made you all. Okay? God made you all like that. And sin, of course, sin, of course, is what has made the differences turn into conflict. That's the problem. The problem isn't how God made us. The problem is our sin and our depravity, and that has made differences in all kinds, whether whether there's ethnic differences, male-female differences. It's sin that's made these things like that. And that's why there's hope, because Jesus Christ is the Savior from sin. That's why there's hope. You see, if your problem is sin, man, there's hope. Right? You shall call his name Jesus, for it is he who shall save his people from their sins. The sins of their marriage, their sins of their life. It is he who saves. So call your problem sin, and then there's great hope. The Savior from sin. That's the gospel. We don't want to sidetrack, um, and uh, our focus is on men, okay? But that phrase, of course, brings up so many of the big questions we're grappling with. So, so in regard to dwelling with your wife according to knowledge, that's the first matter. The second matter is equally or perhaps more important. You need to have a knowledge of your wife in particular, Okay? And there's no way, there's only one person you're going to get that from, right? So, guys, forget talking, talking to your buddies to try to understand your wife. I mean, if you, you can get good counsel. If you're going to do it to get good counsel, that's fine. But the person you need to talk to and listen to, to get to know your wife, Wonder of wonders, it's your wife! <laughs> now, you don't need to be a rocket science guy, you know, a rocket scientist guy to figure that out. <laughs> you know, in order to know your wife, your unique wife, and your wives are all unique in certain ways, that's the person you need knowledge concerning. And... Uh, You don't need knowledge in general. You need to understand her in particular. You see, my wife would occasionally graciously refer to this text when she perceived that I do not understand women in general and understand her in particular. (laughs) She would refer to this text. Yet, I'm the one dwelling with her for the rest of her life. (laughs) And she would refer to this text. And this is literally one of her sayings. What she was saying is, this isn't the saying, but I'll say that in a moment. But what she was saying is this. 
If you understood me, you would not behave as you are, because I know you love me. But your love needs to be a bit more informed with knowledge. <laughs> with knowledge about me. <laughs> okay. And this is the quote. I'm, quote, not that imaginary woman in your head. <laughs> that is so true. <laughs> you know... I'm not that imaginary woman in your head. And my challenge to you, men, is do you know and understand your wife because you really know and understand them, or are you living with some woman in your head that really isn't in your household? And when you first get married, that's how it's going to start out. <laughs> that's how it's going to start out. I'm exaggerating a little bit. But love is knowing and being known, and in this most intimate of relationships, most vulnerable of relationships. So, you need knowledge of your, your wife in particular, and not don't live with some woman in your head. Husbands, do you know your wife's desires, goals, frustrations, strengths, weaknesses, in the physical, emotional, spiritual realm. Do you, do you know your wife's fears and temptations? Do you know her hopes, her doubts? Do you know those things about your wives? You know, if you want to hit the ball, hit the ball out of the park, take the time to get to know your wife, and she'll fall in love with you all over again. So... A lot of us have done a lot of things wrong. I've done a lot of things wrong. I'll admit that. But what I'm telling you here is based on the Word of God and truth. So, you know, don't, you know, I was still practicing to be a better husband when my opportunity ended. You guys still have an opportunity. My opportunity is over. Okay? Yours isn't. Make the most of it, men. Make the most of it. Okay? Yeah. So, men, you should never be impatient when your wives are expressing themselves to you and doing so graciously. And even if they aren't, <laughs> don't be impatient when your wives are expressing themselves to you, even if they're kind of edgy <laughs> when they're doing it. You see, if you are impatient, you will wound your wives, when they're trying to open up, express themselves to you, and you're impatient, you're going to wound them, and you're going to communicate to them that you're not interested in them. And you know, that may very well be true. You just repent of that and go to work at it. You know, you've got to be honest. My wife would ask me, why, why did you do that? <laughs> Or why did you think like that? And there's only one answer. I'm just selfish. That's the answer. I love myself more than you. She, she would, she, my wife would accept that answer perfectly. She'd respect me for that answer. That's why I did that. I love myself more than you. And may God forgive me. Come on, guys. Who do we... <laughs> ladies, too. You know, this can go the other way, too. 
That's the bottom line. I forgot about you and only thought about me. All right? Praise God that the Lord Jesus doesn't love us that way. Right? We wouldn't survive. So, if you... And we're on the point about knowing your wife in particular, and so don't be impatient when, when she's graciously or even ungraciously expressing herself to you. Um, yeah, you'll, you'll communicate to her you're not interested in her, and it doesn't stop there. Our, our wives are pretty smart, and if you are not interested in them, that will lead to what charge? You don't love me. <laughs> if you're not interested in me, don't tell me how much you love me. That's where it's going to go. All right? So, yeah, we're not, doing, we're not doing a series on marriage here, but Christ demonstrates His love for us because He's always interested in us. And we can only seek to try to go in that direction. Now, I know what you're thinking. I'm telling you, never be impatient when your wife's expressing yourself. But, but what about, it's 10 p.m. at night. And I'm exhausted. And she starts to open up. Oh, no. <laughs> what am I going to do? There is a way. There is a way. And here's the... Men, listen now. Here's the way. Honey, I'm really interested in what you're saying. But I'm exhausted. You know what? Tomorrow evening, once we get the kids in bed at 8 o'clock, let's make a commitment and we'll continue this conversation then. Oh, honey, I love you. <laughs> Thank you. I love you. I can't wait for tomorrow evening. That's how you do it. Now, you've got to be sincere about the commitment about... And, you know, they, they have antenna to tell whether you're sincere or not. Usually, they do. I mean, you might get away with it for the first two or three years. But after that, man, those antenna... They, oh, I could use an engineering illustration here, but I won't. Those antennas are focused in, boy. They, they have gotten tuned. Those antennas have gotten tuned. So, so that, that's how you do it. Regarding uh, uh, knowledge of your wife in particular, Wayne Grudem made, made this a very good statement. Such knowledge can only be gained through regular study of God's Word and regular unhurried times of private fellowship together as husband and wife. That's what he said. So, to dwell with your wife according to knowledge, there's a third area. You also, you also need knowledge in this third area, that is, knowledge of the marriage relationship as God intends it to be. As God intends it to be. Okay? And... Um, we're not doing a subject on that, but basically I'll give you this expression, a covenant of companionship. That's what marriage is, a covenant of companionship. I got that from Jay Adams biblically as he pointed that out. And this expression is based on some statements, of course, in the Old Testament. In Malachi, 
Uh, yet you say, for what reason God is interacting with the people of Israel and reproving them. And so why, uh, why isn't the Lord accepting their sacrifices and so forth? For what reason? Well, here's the reason. Because the Lord has been a witness between you and the wife of your youth, with whom you have dealt treacherously, yet she is your companion. There. And your wife by covenant. There it is. So marriage is this covenant of companionship. Till death do us part. Okay? And so it's more than that. But you need to understand what marriage is supposed to be by the Word of God. You need to have that knowledge. Men, it is implied that you're living according to knowledge of God's design for your marriage and knowledge of your wife's in particular, it's implied that that will enable you and help you exercise your authority over your wives. Okay? If you want to lead your wives and exercise your authority over them in a godly, successful way, the more you understand about what the marriage relationship is, the more knowledge you get in that area and the more knowledge you get of your wife in particular, that will all immediately flow into your role as leader. Okay? That will equip you to exercise your authority and lead your family. You need knowledge in those areas. And it just doesn't come by osmosis and so forth. Now Peter goes on there. He continues. Those were the three knowledge areas. But he goes on. Giving honor to the wife as being heirs together of the grace of life. Now this is a little technical here. Peter didn't use the common term for wife here. He actually uses an adjective that is used like a noun in this sentence. So thus simply hearing giving honor to the wife or your wife doesn't quite convey the concept, what he said. The ESV translation brings this out, translating here like this. Showing honor to the woman. Showing honor to the woman. Or giving honor to the female or the feminine one. Showing honor to the feminine one. In other words, the characteristic nature of womanhood or femininity should receive special honor. That's a big statement. The characteristic nature of womanhood or femininity should receive special honor. This reminds us of Peter's earlier admonition, honor all people. And when you honor all people, their specific roles and stuff would come into the honoring, wouldn't it? You're going to honor a king. You're going to honor your father. You're going to honor your mother. There's different... In this matter of honor, it's affected based on what the relationship is or who the person is as to what is appropriate honor. And what I think the Bible is saying, the female nature is appropriately honored in certain ways and is to be honored in certain ways. Honor the woman. 
So these are big, complicated subjects, but biblical femininity, and I'm not defining that in this message, is worthy of honor. That's all that I want to say. What that means in practice, men, is that you should express appreciation and acknowledgement for the female characteristics of your wives. That's what it means. If God has made your wives, wives, women, they have different characteristics than you as men, and you should express appreciation and acknowledgement of those female characteristics of your wives. And do you know what unregenerate men do? The opposite. They make fun of their wives and those female characteristics. That's what they do. And if you've been raised in a home where there's no biblical example of how wives should respect and honor their husbands and how husbands should respect and honor their wives, you need help (laughs) from the Word of God and the Gospel. And I'm not slamming our parents. I was raised in a home like that. And I'm not slamming my parents. That was not an area that I received anything valuable from my parents. There were a lot of other areas I did, but not that, not this area. So these female nature and characteristics are different. And the mistake that men make is they don't appreciate them. And worse, at times, they actually make fun of them. You want to cause a lot of problems in your marriage. Do that. Okay? That is a warning. Okay? How do I know these things? (laughs) That's how I know these things. You know? But God's grace is greater than all our sin. And His power is greater than all of our screwed up things in our heads. Okay? And uh, sin has really gotten a hold of us. All right. So that's what it means in practice. Your, your wives are particularly gifted to be aware of your needs. And they probably fuss over you too much, right? Now be careful. Be careful. You know? And they, and they fuss over you. Men, that's an expression of their love. And my wife would say, Now I don't know if I want you to go up on the roof. You've got to be careful. And now this, I, I learned, I got through this one. You know, and when we're doing all electrical work here at the church, you better be careful. I don't want, I don't want you guys, I don't want you to get electrocuted. And I said, oh, honey, I don't want to get electrocuted. <laughs> See, that, my response, will you stop mothering me? No, no, no. Oh, honey, I don't want to get electrocuted. <laughs> and she'd look at me, knowing I'm kind of, you know, I'm kind of winning by, by, by doing that. But those kind of expressions, don't, you know, don't be impatient with your wife that, you know, men say, well, she's mothering me. I mean, at times wives do that wrongly, okay, but other times it's how they're made. They're concerned about you. You know, don't you want your wife not, want, not to want you to get electrocuted? You know, am I crazy? I mean, that's not a bad thing. Okay. And we've had some close calls. <laughs> All right, so Peter goes on, and you know what? It's 11.57, 
and I don't know how I can get a whole other message out of this verse, but I might be able to figure it out. I think I'm going to stop there because he goes on about joint honor, the grace of life, that type of thing. And, and that gets into the realm of redemption and how husband and wife are to, are, are to respect in this realm of redemption. And, and I, I don't want to rush that, so we'll, we'll, we'll answer all those other difficult questions next week. <laughs> all right, let's pray. Father, wow, you are our creator, and we're grateful for that. And, and we're grateful, Lord, we acknowledge uh, how you made us, and that's a wonderful thing. And, and let, yet, Lord, because of sin, you know, we've mucked up your image in us greatly. And yet you so graciously have forgiven us by the blood of your Son, You've shown us a wonderful example how he lives, his compassion, his love, all of these things. We thank you that he is the light of the world, Lord, that you have not left us in darkness regarding our marriages, that, that the Lord Jesus has made us that promise, Father, that, that, that if we follow him, we shall not walk in darkness, but we will have the light of life. And, oh, Lord, help us as husbands and wives. Oh, Father, we need your help. Help us as mothers and fathers and grandmothers and grandfathers in these things. How much we need your grace. Cause us to be humble enough to set aside our wisdom and the world's wisdom, which is folly. And help us to be humble enough to seek that wisdom from your word. And your Holy Spirit, Lord, and, and, and help us be humble enough to seek one another's help in the body of Christ. Lord, as men and women and as husbands and wives, help us to be humble enough, Lord, to seek the help from others who have gone before us and may have some wisdom and encouragement for us. Lord, we thank you for an opportunity to worship you this morning. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.